Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. To Second uh, Corinthians chapter five tonight. Second Corinthians chapter five, and I'm actually going to read a verse out of Psalms um, tonight first. But we're we are going to get to Second Corinthians chapter five, and I really want to talk tonight about about why we're going to the mission field. And you kind of saw that in the video, you know, starting, you know, why? Why? What would make a person? you know, leave their, their home, leave their family, leave everything they know. And I'm not, it's not a pity party, believe me. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, you know, what would cause somebody to do that, right? I mean, what would, what would be the kind of the driving factor and what would sustain that for years to come? I want to read this verse in Psalm, Psalm 106. And again, I hope you're there with me in 2 Corinthians 5. We'll be there in just a second. But in Psalm 106, let me read you verse 23. The Bible says, Therefore, he said, this is God talking now, he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. All right, Psalm 106, verse 23, God is speaking to Moses, and we'll look at the context here in just a second, and we'll get to the story, but I want to I want to preach a, a thought that the Lord gave me some time ago, and really uh, kind of solidified this for me a few weeks ago about this idea of uh, of of standing in the breach, of standing in the gap. And the title of the message tonight is "Mind the Gap." Mind the gap. And let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so thankful for the opportunity to be here, Lord, for this time of Bible study and, and this time of presenting our burden for the country of Brazil. But Lord, it's not just, a, it is a burden that you give to Jamie and I, it's a burden you give to our family. But Lord, I pray that tonight it would be a burden that I could share with these dear Christians, Lord, these dear folks, and that would be conveyed in such a way that we would make it personal. And maybe we won't get on a plane and go to Brazil. Maybe we won't get on a, a plane and go somewhere across the world. But Lord, we can still be a witness for you right here in our community. Father, I pray that you'd work in hearts. Father, I pray that you would uh, just help us to be yielded and surrendered to whatever you would have us to do, Lord. Please, now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, mind the gap. So that's, that's where I'm headed tonight, and I'll come back to that in just a second. But I remember as a kid, growing up, I have many fond memories of visiting family. You know, holidays are coming up, and you go see family. And we would go see uh, my grandma, who uh, lived in Michigan. My dad grew up in Michigan, and uh, so we would go up there. And I remember we would go, and every year there was a book that she had on her shelf that I really, really liked. And it was a book uh, about London. Has anyone here been to London before? Anybody? Okay, I, I, you've been to London. Okay, I've not been to London before, but uh, it was really neat. My grandparents had been there several times. My, my grandpa worked for a chemical company, so he traveled the world and had opportunity to go a lot of different places. And London, they had been there three or four times, and on one of their trips, they had bought this it was, you know, one of those books you'd see on a, on a coffee table, just had a lot of pictures and Buckingham Palace and Big Ben and Westminster Abbey and all those things. And I, I thought it was really cool and, you know, the telephone booth and all of that. And one of the pictures I remember was a picture from 
the London Underground. Now, did you, did you have an opportunity to go on the London Underground when you were there? Some, okay. So maybe you, what I'm about to, the story I'm about to relay, maybe you even had personal experience with. But the London Underground, of course, is kind of the, the transit, mass transit system that runs all throughout London. Now, uh, in, this, uh, in this system, of course, you have the trains, you have the tracks, and of course you have platforms that people are waiting to get on the train. And in some of the stations uh, that the, the trains are going through, at some of these stations, there's actually a turn and a curve in, uh, in the tracks. And so from the, uh, from the, from the platform to, the, to where the door or the, the threshold for the train would be, uh, there's a little bit of a, of a gap there. And, um, you know, as you would imagine, that would cause some problems if, if you were in a hurry or if you weren't paying attention or if you were elderly. You know, uh, th- that gap you could trip in, you could really hurt yourself, you could really sustain an injury being in that. And so when this was built years and years ago, they were looking for a, a way to uh, both audibly and visibly warn uh, those in the London Underground about this gap. And the phrase that was chosen was, was mind the gap. Now, you know, as Americans, that sounds very proper, and that's very, you know, very English, very British sounding, you know, mind the gap. And of course, uh, if you could hear it, I'm, I, I listened to it on, on, on uh, Wikipedia or whatever it was, and it's, you know, very proper, you know, mind the gap. And of course, it's very English in its, in its phrasing and what it means. But the idea is there's a gap, there's a, there's a, a void, if, if I may, between where the, the person is and where they need to go. And if they're not careful, they're going to get caught in that gap and they're going to sustain and injury. Now, tonight in our text verse that I read here in Psalm 106, we find that God is talking about a situation in the life of Israel and in the life of Moses that really is, is very similar to what I just described in the London Underground. We find that, uh, that, of course, Israel has been brought out of Egypt and now God is leading them through the wilderness. And uh, God has called Moses up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, to, uh, to receive the Ten Commandments. And not just the Ten Commandments, but really the entirety of the law. Now imagine with me that Moses has been up on this mountain. Uh, God has instructed and warned Israel uh, that the mountain he's on, Mount Sinai, I don't want you to come near it. I don't want you to touch it. It's holy. It's sacred. Moses and God are meeting. And he's receiving the law. He's receiving the the law that God is going to deliver to not only the nation of Israel, but ultimately in, in his word to us uh, even for uh, today, and, and, and the law, the moral law that we find. So God is there, and, and Moses is speaking face to face with God. Now, he does this, however, uh, Moses is up on this mountain for 40 days. 40 days. And the Bible tells us that the children of Israel, in Exodus 32, we find that the children of Israel are starting to get restless. Now, imagine if pastors said, listen, church, I, I'm going to go away. I don't know how long, but when I come back, you know, God's going to give me vision. And, and, and I'm going to have a direction, and we're going to be excited. Now, you would be, initially, you'd, be, you'd probably be really excited about that, wouldn't you? But if you didn't know how long that, that duration was going to be, you know, two weeks into it, you might start thinking, okay, he's, you know, he's run away on us. He's never coming back. But imagine 40 days. I mean, that's a month and 10 days. 
And that's a long time. That's almost six weeks that Moses was up on this mountain and God is working at them. Now, in the meantime, while they're, you know, fretting about him and really, frankly, thinking he's never coming back, they convinced the leadership of Israel to do something that really made God quite mad. And they convinced the leadership of Israel to make a golden calf. Now imagine God has met with Moses. Moses is coming down the mountain. He's holding in his hands the very tablets, not just any tablets. These were the tablets the Bible tells us that the finger of God had carved the commandments on. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. He's holy. And his complexion is probably shining with the glory of God. And these, these tablets of stone, I, I, kinda, I have a big imagination, okay? So you have to forgive me. I have to imagine that they're still maybe kind of warm, you know, from the, from the awesome power of God's finger carving in the stone. And he's coming down, and he comes down, and all of a sudden he sees this huge party going on, basically. If you read the text in Exodus 32, there's this massive party, and they're bowing down, they're naked, they're, there's just raucous music, it's this crazy time of, it's, it's worshiping this false idol, and Moses takes the tablets that God has just given him, and he throws them on the ground. He breaks them. Now, imagine, I mean, that, that would have to be pretty angry, for somebody to take something that God had just written and break them. And he did this not only because of his own frustration, but also because of the wrath of God that was about to be incurred. And the Bible tells us there in Psalm uh, 106 that he stood in the breach. You see, tonight there was a breach between the holiness of God. See, God is a holy God. Right? We understand. He is a loving God. Yes, He is. And He is a, he's a merciful God and He's a gracious God. Yes. But God is also a holy God. And God is a just God. And so tonight, if you can imagine with me, there was a breach. There was a void. There was a gap. All right? There was a gap that existed between the holiness of God and the, the wickedness, the depravity, the sinfulness of man. And this breach, understand, there was no way that the two were going to be brought together. There was no way that these two were going to be reconciled. There was no way that the holiness, the justness, the, the, the perfection of God, and the wickedness, the sinfulness, the depravity of man, there was no way that those two things were going to be joined together. But for Moses... See, Moses is there, and he recognizes that God is holy. He recognizes that God is just, but he also understands that God is loving. And he also understands that God's, God is merciful. And so he goes to God on the behalf of Israel, all right, and he intercedes on their behalf. He goes to God, and he says, God, you, you can't do this. You have to remember your promises to Abraham. You have to remember your promises to Isaac. You have to remember all of the promises that you have made to your children. You can't destroy them. Now, God does not destroy Israel in its entirety. However, God's, when God's perfection and God's uh, commands are broken, and that is, uh, that is uh, you know, uh, uh, gone against, God still, there has to be a penalty for that sin. And so God sends a plague in. Moses once again goes, and he, the Bible tells us that Moses, his chosen, stood before him 
in the breach. The breach is like a, is like a city that's been destroyed and, and there's an enemy that's coming in and somebody has to stand in that breach. Somebody has to stand in that gap so that city is not destroyed. So that those people are not vanquished. We find that this is what Moses tells the people in Exodus 32 and verse 30. You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make atonement for your sin. Now remember that word atonement. He begins making intercession. Israel had sinned. The law had been given revealing their guilt. God's holiness demanded justice. And all because of one man standing in this gap, Israel was spared. Now again, there was judgment that came. However, Moses stood in that gap, preventing God from f executing further judgment. Now, this is not the only time in the Bible that we see a person interceding. This is not the only time that we find a, a, a person standing in the gap or standing in the breach, uh, going between a, a, a wicked, sinful uh, unholy man or a group of people in standing between a holy, perfect, just God. We find this in Genesis chapter 18. You might remember the story. Abraham, his nephew Lot, is in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? And God has come to Abraham and has advised him that I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham remembers his nephew and his, uh, his uh, niece-in-law, if you want to call it that, and his, his, uh, all of those, and his children are there in the city. And so he begins the process of begging God to please don't destroy it. Ultimately, Abraham's intercession is unsuccessful and God destroys. It's not unsuccessful, but God said, 10 righteous people, okay, I won't destroy it. God wasn't able to find 10 righteous people. We find this also with Ezekiel. Famously, in Ezekiel chapter 22, God is looking for somebody to stand in the gap. God is looking for somebody to stand in the breach. God once again has pronounced judgment upon Israel. And he's looking for somebody to stand in the gap so that that judgment might be a lesson, might be assuaged, and no one is found. No one is found. Even Paul, even Paul in Romans chapter 9, if you look at the first three verses of that, he, he says of this, and this is remarkable. He says, I, I say the truth, I lie not, that I wish myself accursed. He was willing to put himself in a position between unholy, uh, unrighteous, wicked, perverse Israel and a holy, just, perfect uh, a God, and he says, I wish myself to take the judgment, think about this, to take the judgment that they deserve. I wish to take that on myself if Israel might be saved. That's a heart for people. That's a heart. That's a heart to see something that is seemingly irreconcilable. Something that is, is on the, uh, really from, from all that we can muster, all the, the, the knowledge that we can put together about who God is and about who we are, that's, a, that's an impossible thing. And yet, that was Paul's burden. That was Paul's burden. While the gap was not visible, 
It was very real. And this gap that was present in the life of Moses and Israel and several times throughout Scripture, let me just tell you tonight that that gap is still very real tonight. The gap is the gap between who God is and who I am. The punishment is severe. The punishment is eternal. And might I say this, the punishment is just. As much as we don't think it is, it is just. A holy, perfect God, and, a ju- and the punishment is real, and this punishment is hell. It's a real place. Just as real as us sitting here this evening, hell is a real place. And there is a gap that exists in the lives and the hearts of billions of people around the world today. It might be your neighbor, it might be your coworker, it, it might be a family member. But there is a gap in between who I am as a human. And by the way, I'm not just a sinner because of what I do. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that I am a sinner because of who I am. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. See, Christian, we, again, we're not sinners merely because of what we do. Yes, we sin. We do sin. But our very nature, our very core, who we are fundamentally is a sinner. And that's why no amount of good works No amount of being a good person, no amount of going to church, none of it is going to be able to save us because at our very core, we are sinners. Now, you should be there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll look at this very quickly, but the Bible tells us there's a word here in 2 Corinthians 5 that I want to key in on for just a few minutes, and the challenge tonight is to mind the gap. Mind the gap the gap. All right. So let's look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and let's begin here in verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Notice that word reconciled. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling there that word is again the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, this word reconcile, today, in in today's common vernacular, when we think of it, it often is is used in a legal sense. Often it's used in in a sense of a husband and a wife that possibly are looking and are seeking divorce, and they might go to the judge and they might say, the reason we're getting a divorce is irreconcilable differences. In other words, there's uh, one party and another party, and they just can't find common ground. There's a gap. Remember, there's a void. There's a, there's a breach in that relationship. There's distance between where they once were, and that, that, that relationship has been estranged. The the word reconcile means, and I love this definition, to call back into union. To call back into union. Now tonight in in our verses here, in our text, we find three things about minding the gap. Three things about Uh, about reconciling that I want to bring to light and just a quick challenge and thought in this idea of reconciliation. Here they are. Our model of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, and then our method of reconciliation. 
our mo- uh, model, ministry, and method of reconciliation. I'll go through each one very quickly. First of all, our model of reconciliation. Look with me again in verse 18. And all things are of God who hath, what's that word? Reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We find, first of all, the model of reconciliation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for he is our peace, speaking of Jesus Christ, uh, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Again, that word reconcile means to call back into union. There was God, a holy, just, perfect God. And then there was me, sinner, lost, wicked, uh, totally, completely a sinner. Nothing I could do to save myself. And the only way that that gap could be bridged, the only way to bring God and me back into harmony, back, and by the way, that's why we're, we were created, was for fellowship, was it not? He created Adam and Eve for fellowship. And when sin entered in, that is when that relationship was broken. And so the only way to take me and the only way to get God back into fellowship was through Jesus Christ. And so tonight, Christian, our model of reconciliation is Jesus Christ. And that's why I love that verse, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You say, how could a missionary, how could a missionary go to a place like Brazil? How could a missionary go to a place like uh, a Muslim country or somewhere in Southeast Asia where they have no semblance of Christianity or, or they just, it's all about works and there's just all a form of religion. How could you go there and love them? How could you go there and, and, and want to reach them with the gospel? Well, The answer is very simple because that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for me while I was yet a sinner. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. You know, and that's the beautiful thing about forgiveness is that it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what that other person has done because no matter what I have done or what they have done, none of it is worse than what put my sin uh, that, put, that put Jesus cross, uh, Jesus Christ on the cross for my sin. And if he was willing to forgive that, there's nothing that I shouldn't be willing to forgive. So our model of reconciliation, the, what we ought to be doing, and we'll look here in just a minute at the, the ministry of reconciliation, what we ought to be doing actively as a Christian, reconciling, taking things that are people that are lost and, and dying and deserving of hell and, and reconciling, bringing them back into union with Jesus Christ and with God. That is nothing that I can do. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. However, notice not only our model of reconciliation, but secondly, look again in verse 18. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. See, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's saying, listen, the, 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 uh, the burden of, of what God did, it's not just for something that happened 2,000 years ago. Hey, church, it's something that you and I ought to be actively doing on a day-to-day basis. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Taking two things that were, compl- I mean, the gap was huge. 
The gap and, and, and hell to pay and, and punishment and judgment to pay for sin. But because of Jesus Christ, that, that bridge can be gap. But guess what? Somebody has to mind the gap. Somebody has to understand that in every single person, there is, there is that gap that exists. And it's only through Jesus Christ that that reconciling can happen. Yes, taking people that are unlovely. Yes, taking people that are lost. Yes, taking people that have problems and, and broken family and, and, and just, I mean, finances are a problem. It just seems like everything in life is a problem. Yes, God died for them. Jesus Christ died for them. And he wants to reconcile. The Bible tells us, look in verse 15 here, and that he died for all, that they should live uh, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose. Again, this is the same passage of Scripture. We find that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature there in verse 17. If Christ is in you, if the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you, guess what? You and I have been given a ministry, and that's the ministry of reconciliation. Now, lastly, let's look very quickly at not only the model and ministry of reconciliation, but let's look at the method of reconciliation. How are we supposed to do this? How are we going to take a lost, a dying, broken world and reconcile them back with God? Now, look with me here in verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And I know this is a very basic thought. I know this is, this is probably something you've seen before. But understand, the only way that you and I are going to be able to call back into union, to reconcile, to take two things that are at odds, to mind the gap, the only way that we are going to be able to do that is if we take the word of God and use it for his honor and for his glory. Right here, this is the method of reconciliation, the word of God. Notice what he says. He's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. This is such a beautiful passage here, talking about the love of Christ. In fact, even in verse 14, he says, the love of Christ constraineth me. It, 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 call, it captures me, and it, it causes me to serve with a heart of love. And that's what missions is all about. You don't have to be in Brazil. You don't have to be in Africa. You don't have to be in Asia in order to do that. You can allow the love of Christ to constrain me, to, to capture me, to take me, and to cause me to see that there's a lost and dying world. There's a gap. There's a, there's a holy God, a perfect, just, righteous God, and there's a lost and dying world. And somebody has to stand in that gap. Somebody has to take that ministry of reconciliation, of calling back into union, to, to take them and say, world that's lost and dying and going to hell, here's Jesus Christ, the answer, the only way, the only hope for the world. There's a lot of people that are lost. And I'm not just talking about spiritually. I mean, you just talk to them and they have no, they're aimless. They're just drifting through life. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And this is the word, the word of reconciliation. Amen. This is the thing that's going to make the difference. Christian, tonight, I'm just, I just want to challenge us. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. There's people all around us that need Christ. And the only way that we're going to be able to bring them to Christ, reconcile, bring that relationship back into union, is if we look at our model, Jesus Christ, 
if we take up that ministry on a day-to-day basis through this method, through the Word of God, that's the thing that'll make the difference.